listening to the JMCC's Scientist in the Spotlight podcast. My name is Kate Weeks, and today I'm joined by Dr. Mary Papadaki, Research Assistant Professor at Loyola University, Chicago. Hello, Mary. Thank you for joining us. Hi, everyone, and uh, thank you, Kate, for uh, having me. It's wonderful to have you. Um, so the aim of this podcast series is to get to know the scientists behind some of the fantastic papers that are published in the JMCC. But before we talk about your scientific journey, I'd like to spend a couple of minutes hearing about your paper, which was selected as the Editor's Choice article for January. For those of you listening at home, Mary's paper is titled Myofilament Glycation in Diabetes Reduces Contractility by Inhibiting Tropomycin Movement and is Rescued by Cardiac Myosin Binding Protein C Domains. And you can download her article from the JMCC website. It's an Editor's Choice article, so it's open access uh, and you don't need a subscription. And you can also watch a fantastic webinar that Mary gave about her paper on the ISHR JMCC webinar channel on YouTube. So Mary, tell me a bit about your paper. What was the, the rationale for investigating glycation in diabetes? Yeah, uh, thank you. I feel very honored to be selected for Editor's Choice paper. And I love all the articles from JMCC. I think they're great. So it was extra honor that I was like a good one. Um, so this, the glycation investigation started with an external collaborator at that time. Uh, his name is Dr. Ron Holowinski, and he's an expert in mass spectrometry. So he was finding these uh, glycation modifications in human patients uh, just in, in different proteins. So he was like, oh, I wonder what it does. So this is literally how the project started. Just throw it in the cells and see what it does. Mm -hmm. So, and then we found that actually patients with diabetes have more uh, glycation modifications in um, cardiac muscle proteins, which impacts contraction. So it's a very exciting new field that we are investigating, started by throwing it in. Fantastic. And in your paper, you do some uh, studies with isolated cardiomyocytes, skin cardiomyocytes, to measure force and calcium sensitivity. Um, so can you tell me a bit about what, what were those samples? Were they human samples or were they mouse samples? Yes. So um, that's exactly right. We measure uh, myofilament function that's uh, through calcium sensitivity and maximal force. And we, because we skin the cardiomyocytes, so we uh, permeabilize the membrane. We don't need to have uh, live cells. We can just use from frozen tissue and uh, we use human tissue as well as mouse. Uh, we can also use rabbit or dog or other, yeah, anything that can be frozen down, yeah. And are there, the modifications that you were looking at, are they specific modifications on specific residues or is this a, a post-translational modification that affects multiple residues within the same protein. Tell me a bit more about the, the actual modification. Yes, yeah, so the modification is a, a irreversible non-enzymatic modifications. It happens on arginine and lysine amino acid on residues, but just it's tricky because uh, it's non-enzymatic. So we've been trying to find if there is a concept sequence or something that makes it specific to specific sequences, but we haven't really gotten a clue on that, but it's a very interesting future question for us. Yeah. Okay. And so you were focusing on actin and myosin? Yes. In the patients that we were studying, the patient populations uh, in diabetes, 
we found that specifically actin and myosin uh, were glycated and not other ones. Yeah. And so what's the, I guess, what's the most important finding to come out of this paper? So uh, the most important finding from this paper is that glycation modifications on actin and myosin affect uh, cardiac muscle contraction. And this happens through blocking tropomyosin into a locked position. And uh, we also use the cardiac myosin binding protein C peptide C0C2 that was able to rescue the modification, which makes it very important therapeutically. I think your paper is a beautiful example of how understanding how something works at a structural level can provide insight to what's happening in a disease setting and, and then be used as a foundation for the development of targeted therapeutics. I think it's fantastic. So congratulations on a, a really outstanding piece of work. Thank you. I agree. <laughs> so let's talk about you. So for everyone listening at home, um, can you give us a, a brief overview of your scientific journey? So uh, I, my scientific journey started when I was in Greece. So when I was in high school, I decided that I didn't want to study in Greece, but I wanted to go to the UK to study. I went to an international school, so that made my life easier for this. And I went to Imperial College London, and I studied biochemistry. Already in my final year, when we were doing the final year projects, I was fascinated from science and I knew I wanted to do a PhD. I knew I wanted to be a scientist. This is why then I did a master's in research. And um, I had two projects. So my master's, it was in biomedical research. And um, I wanted, I knew I wanted to do transnational research. That's why I chose this master's. And uh, I had the opportunity to work in two labs that both gave me a PhD positions, but I didn't chose to do it in either of these labs. So I took my risk and I accepted the position from Professor Steve Marston, again at Imperial College London, studying the heart. And I really enjoyed it. I loved my PhD. Um, I had an excellent relationship with my mentor and yeah then I still wanted to do research so then I decided to do my postdoc at Loyola in the lab of Dr. Kirk to continue working on the heart yeah. And was the heart something you were always interested in or did you just sort of fall into that for your PhD and then that's where your your love of the myofilaments <laughs> and the heart came into play? Yes, I had no idea about the myofilaments before the PhD. Uh, so it wasn't something that I was really looking into it. I just wanted to work on something on the human body. Mm -hmm. Actually, first I was looking into more cancer research. Mm -hmm. But then since I studied the heart, I think it's the coolest. And I don't regret it. So, I agree. I yeah. agree. <laughs> um, so you moved from Greece to the UK and then to the US. And I think this is a a very common occurrence in academia everyone I've interviewed for this podcast series so far has moved countries at some stage in their career um, but it can be really tough to leave family and friends and and to live in a different country especially if you have to learn a second language um, in, in order to to live in that country so what what did you find the most challenging when you first moved from Greece to the UK and then also from the UK to the US to, to do your PhD? 
from Greece to the UK, I have to say that maybe because I was young or maybe because it's still kind of within Europe, actually, I didn't really struggle that much. But I did say that I found it that it, at Imperial, people were quite competitive. Already, I remember from the first year, like the first semester, everybody was talking about internship. And I have no clue, no idea what is even internship. So uh, Greece, definitely people are more relaxed. This is, I found something uh, shocking in the UK. But otherwise, I felt quite at home there. I, because, yeah, it's, and there are a lot of Greek, Greek people there. And mm -hmm. I think it's still like very European in ways. Yeah. And in terms of the research culture, do you think there are major differences between the UK and the US? Um, or are they pretty similar? Yes. So the biggest shock was when I came to the US from the UK. And uh, I, yeah, I found people here, at least in my university, that people work really hard. So there is definitely a working culture, but also people are not really socializing as much. So they just work, come to work, they work really hard, and then they go home to enjoy with their friends, their family or whatever. However, in the UK, uh, a lot of the times we have like on Fridays, we would go to the pub and I really like that because then you can talk to other people about your research and then maybe they can give you sales or even exchange ideas. So that also made it harder for me to find friends here since I came by myself. Mm -hmm. And what do you think is the best thing about being a scientist? What do you enjoy the most about your job? The, the thing that I enjoy the most about being a scientist, it's exactly this worldwide community that Everyone comes together from all over the world and we do science together and we can do so many collaboration with so many different people from so many different places. So I find it like very beautiful that science connects people. And what are some of the challenges about being a scientist? Yeah, I think uh, different stages may have different challenges, but now in the uh, stage that I am I'm at, which is an early career investigator, I find it very challenging to apply for grants and get grants and uh, just move on to the next step. So I think that's really challenging, yeah. And just to finish up, do you have any advice for students or for junior postdocs who are just embarking on their career? Yes, I would definitely say to any finishing PhD students to uh, not be scared to move away from their field. So it may actually be a good thing to have, um, maybe be an expert in two things, so I think that can maybe help you along the way. And uh, also, I know a lot of people are telling you to, you know, think about uh, your career from early on, which I definitely agree and something I didn't really do. But then at the same time, I think you should be able to live your life and just enjoy the journey. And, you know, things will turn out very good for you. Well, thank you so much, Mary. It's been lovely to speak to you. And congratulations again on your paper. Thank you so much. It was a great pleasure for me too.